Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Mado, joined as always by Chris Bugay. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. What you got for me today? Well, here we are at the beginning of a new year, and I think it's a great time to make a commitment that if you're making videos, you put captions on those videos. And I just have a quick little story to tell you, Rachel, that um, my daughter, we were sitting around having dinner, and my daughter was sitting there, and she's like, Dad, guess what I did today? It's like, what? what do you mean? What? 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 What did you do? And she's like, I taught one of my one of my classmates about apple clips and i was like what tell me and she's like well so we had this project we had to do for class and teacher said we could use whatever tools we wanted and my friend was really struggling she didn't know what she wanted to make and we landed on she's like should i make a google slides or should i make a, i don't remember what the um, i'm not even sure that maggie told me what the content was about you know but they just had to make something and so Maggie was helping her brainstorm what tools she could use. And she said, what about a video? And she's like, yeah, I make videos all the time. And she goes, well, okay, what do you use to make the videos? And she goes, I, well, I mean, I just used the, my phone, you know. She goes, have you ever used Apple Clips? And the student was like, I don't know, what's Apple Clips? So Maggie showed her. And Apple Clips is essentially just a recording um, application in the same way you'd use, instead of hitting your camera app, you'd hit Apple Clips. But what it does is, is when it makes the video, it's auto-captioning the video for you. So the, the captions are embedded right into the video that you're making. And it has a way to do edits. Now, it does a lot more than all of that, right? But that's the part that I care about. And it was just so great that my daughter was like, yeah, Dad, guess what I did? You know, it was so cool. Look at you just raising humans to be inclusive and to think about inclusivity. I love it. <laughs> and uh, not only just my daughter, right? I mean, a little a little me in the making, but she inspired someone else to do it, you know? And then that other person can now spread that word like, hey, you know, maybe they'll meet another friend and talk about it. Or when they make the video and the captions are there, the teacher might ask, hey, how'd you get the captions in, you know? And that can start a whole conversation. So uh, I'm, I was really excited about the domino effect happening there. Yeah. And I think it just speaks to how important it is to think about, you know, how much of an impact you can have as an educator, because I think we sometimes forget like how like young impressionable students are. And when they have a teacher that tells them, you know, yeah, you should put captions on all your videos so that everybody can benefit. Um, that small statement can make a huge splash in the way that kids think about things. And I just think it's such a great reminder. It doesn't take a lot of energy or effort or like overt teaching to just like mention something like that. And it can make such a huge, profound impact on the way that students and adults think about, you know, the world and how we can make it designed for all. And it's such a simple, simple thing to do. It's not like it was going to take this student, you know, many more minutes to add captions. By using the right tool, it does the captions for you and then making some adjustments if for some reason the caption did not capture what you were saying correctly. Um, but you're just editing in that case. You're not having to generate all of the captions, which can be, you know, it can some, take some time. So in this case, showing that, I think, like you said, it makes such an important difference in that person's 
mindset, uh, as that child's mindset, because from from now and ever going forward, it'll just be like, yeah, every time I make a video, I have captions. Like, that's just how you do it. It's just, it's sort of like every time you have you make a video, you post it to a certain place, or every time I write, I, I save my document. Like, it's just part of, of the experience of creating a video is having captions, as opposed to it feels like this add-on or glom-on or feel like it's one more thing I have to do. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of your your new book, Chris, because I feel like that was the intention of the book, right? Was to just really start helping general education teachers understand the small little tweaks that can be made so that it can be inclusive. Learning can be inclusive for all. Um, and I think that that is really important because again, like if we can have all educators understanding some of these things that are just small tweaks, then think about the impact that has on all of their students who they're teaching. It's it's a way to march forward so that someday we have this inclusive society that we're striving for, you know, Um, and it's an intentional way. Like and that's part of the book is reading one strategy a day and then maybe implementing some of those strategies this year and then other strategies and continue to to build out so that you are having a a path to get there. You know, another strategy that's embedded in there, Rachel, is in relation to captions, um, not just in the book, but just in general, let's talk about about it is that there's an accessibility feature on iPhones. It might be on Android as well, but I don't have an Android, so I don't know this for sure. But it, there's an accessibility feature that allows you to just turn on captions automatically, which means if a video has captions, then you don't have to go turn it on every time. You don't have to look for the CC button. It's just there. It's just it's just how I watch videos is those captions are always on. Yeah, that's really that's really great because I think that sometimes even I forget about captions. Um, like when I'm showing a video, I'm doing a lot of telepractice, obviously, and like I could very easily like click it on. And sometimes I do, right? But then sometimes I forget, and I'll like be watching a video back of my session, and I'll be like, oh whoops, I forgot the captions. <laughs> and so I think that like having that automaticity makes a lot of sense. I think that that should be the default. You know, like that should be the default and then like turning it off should be like the extra step. (laughs) Exactly. I think that's exactly how it should be out of the gate, you know, especially because we know captions help people become better readers. So, you know, when you say captions, you know, uh, some teachers will say to me, but I don't have anyone with hearing impairments. Like, do you have people who read? Yes. Oh, okay. Then let's turn the captions on because then it, it, it completely supports it. So Apple, if you're listening at the next iOS update, force install that captions are automatically on and then have make make people turn them off. Okay, that's from from Rachel and I. Appreciate it. Yes, we would really appreciate that, Apple. Thank you. So, Rachel, this episode that we're talking about here is something we recorded back in 2020, of course, last year. And it's one of our Talking With Tech Live episodes that we recorded in Indiana. This was at the Access to Education Conference. Yeah, and we just love these talking with tech live events because it's a it's a brainstorm, it's a collaboration, and it's really exciting to hear everyone's ideas. And I feel like I leave knowing something that I didn't know before, a tool or a strategy. And I think together we can all really support one another. So I'm really excited to share this with our podcast and excited to to make everybody superstars that were that were on the event um, because it's exciting. I think uh, at the prospect of like. This is not only a continuing education opportunity, but also like you're going to be a celebrity on our podcast. 
And I think it's an opportunity to connect with each other um, and and kind of meet new people that are out of your own neck of the woods. You know, sometimes I feel like we get wrapped up in just our own little space and we only look three feet in front of us. But these sorts of episodes, these sorts of experiences, the, the Talking With Tech Live, you're in a room full of people that you probably don't know, you know, or don't know very well, but you're collaborating and you're sharing and you're brainstorming with one another. So something else I love about those Talking With Tech events are the the questions that are asked through the Google form and then the spreadsheet that we have together uh, at the end that we can fill out together. Like it's a community spreadsheet that we have um, where the questions show up on the spreadsheet, but then part of the spreadsheet, people can respond and put their own resources, put their own ideas. Um, and so by the end, you have this kind of uh, robust uh, uh, note-taking application, I don't know, note-taking place where you can go and read all the notes and read what everybody was sharing. And I have to say, I've actually gone back to those. <laughs> I've been like, oh, what was that one person talking about for this one specific issue that I had? <laughs> and then like, I'll just go back and, and search it. And that's what's really nice is that I feel like what happens when you go to some type of professional development course, you kind of like write notes and like maybe a, you have a slide deck or something like that and then like I don't know it's just like I feel like I hardly ever go back to like search for things um but I love the idea of the the google sheet because it's like it has a search feature I can just like plug in what I'm looking for and then find it um and those links those links are really important which is why we wanted to make everything digital so that you could simply just like put a link in and then click on the link and share it with everybody and the way we've set it up is that if you've come to one Talking With Tech Live event, you get access to the entire spreadsheet. There's different tabs at the bottom for any one that we've come to. So uh, I think that is super fun for people, too, is because you can go back and see what uh, what other questions were, were asked at different events. Uh, and there's lots of resources on there. So without further ado... Let's listen to part one of Talking With Tech Live at the Access to Education Conference 2020. We're excited to remind everyone about one of our favorite events of the year, the annual ATIA Conference. ATIA stands for the Assistive Technology Industry Association, and like so many events, this year the conference will be held online. The ATIA team has designed the conference in a way that provides attendees more opportunities for flexible scheduling and different registration options. It's going to be awesome. The conference, called ATIA 2021 AT Connected, will be held online January 25th through 28th and February 1st through 4th. The conference will feature the same professional development opportunities we've all come to rely on from ATIA, including an education strand dedicated to AAC, along with CEUs available on more than 150 courses. Plus, there's a ton of flexible scheduling options, so you can attend some sessions live and catch up on others that were recorded. These recordings will be available through June of 2021, so you'll have plenty of time to watch them. This year, there's also a range of registration options, including full conference, single strand, one day, and even a free option. With all of this flexibility and a free registration option, there's absolutely no reason not to attend. Chris and I will be there too. We're leading the course called Designing and Delivering Empowering Experiences to Teach Language Using AAC. 
This six-hour course is a virtual seminar held over two Saturdays, January 30th and February 6th, both starting at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 Eastern. We've put together an experience that allows you to take a deep dive into AAC. You can register by going to bit.ly backslash TWTATIA21. It's a great example of one of the flexible options you have for ATIA 2021. You can pick and choose the sessions and schedules that work best for you, and you can even take an intensive course like our virtual seminar to really hone in on a topic that matters most to you. And that's not all. Guess what? Talking with Tech listeners can get a special discount when registering for this conference. To get 20% off the full conference registration, go to ataa.org backslash talking with tech and enter the discount code ATIA21VISION, all caps. So head on over to ataa.org slash talking with tech and enter the registration code ATIA2001VISION today. See you at ATIA. Rachel Madel. I am a speech language pathologist who is based out of Los Angeles. So it's 630 in the morning here for me, but I'm super excited to be here, you guys, because this is one of my favorite conversations. Um, I love kind of hearing from everybody. Chris and I are used to doing conferences and presentations where we're teaching people. Um, but this is super collaborative, which Chris and I have already talked on the podcast multiple times about how much we love this, this exact course. Um, so I do a lot of talking about AAC. I do, uh, I have a private practice in Los Angeles where I specialize in AAC. Um, I work with a lot of students with autism. Um, but all different kinds of students who have complex communication needs. You can see here, there are all the ways that you can get in touch with me. You can follow me on social media. I'm sharing a lot these days of clips from my sessions. Um, I do a lot of parent coaching for parents and other practitioners on teams to teach them how to incorporate AAC. So follow me on social media, um, all the things. And then me, I'm Chris Bouguet, and um, although my hair looks a lot different than in that picture, ever since COVID, I've just kind of let it grow. And actually planning for this this uh, conference, I have been a, someone who's presented this conference. I guess I'd call myself a veteran, Kelly, do you think? I would call myself a veteran at the Access to Education Conference. I've been going to this before it was called the Access to Education Conference, back when it was called the Patents Conference. And uh uh, knowing that we were coming here today, I wanted to grow out my hair so it would look like Kelly's. Um, not quite there yet, but uh, give me a couple more weeks and we'll see what I can do. My day job is that I work for Loudoun County Public Schools. That's a public school here in the Northern Virginia area. And uh, going back to the podcast for a second, that's one of the appeals, I think, of the podcast is that we've got Rachel out on the, on the West Coast who works in private practice. And then you've got me on the East Coast who works for a public school. And so we often get to share different perspectives. Um, Rachel working more, would you say, Rachel, 80, 90% of your caseload is working directly with families and then maybe 10 to 20% is consulting with schools? Would that be fair? I'd probably say that. Yeah. And then the flip side for me is that I'm, you know, 80, 90% working with educators in the school and then 10% working with families, not in any sort of private practice, but then just helping the families that we work with through our school district. And my background is also a speech language pathologist, but about three years into my career, I was asked to be one of the founding members of our assistive technology team. And I've been doing that ever since. So I think of myself as sort of a 
an inclusive design facilitator or inclusive design educator that has a speech background as opposed to a speech therapist that works in that arena. And I've had the great fortune to write a couple books. The most recent book is The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All. That came out of... 2018. So it's, we're closing in on two years now. Uh, and in that time, I've been working on a new reveal, um, which I'm about to reveal here in a second. Um, the, uh, I also share all my disclosures um, over on a website. So you can go check that out as well. Again, nothing I think really relevant to today. All right. So here's the big reveal. Geez, Rachel, you know, I've been working on this for a while, but we haven't actually put it out into the public in any sort of official capacity. And so um, access to education, I thought would be one good place to kind of reveal it is that um, there's a new book coming out um, and it's actually available for pre-orders now. You can or, uh, order this now and it's called Inclusive Learning 365, Ed Tech Strategies for Every Day of the Year. And it is a collaborative effort between myself, Karen Janowski, Mike Marotta, who also is a veteran at uh, presenting at this conference and is presenting, I think, later today, um, and Beth Poss, who's also presenting here. We have long, we've been longtime collaborators in this space of trying to use technology to design inclusive environments. And uh, once upon a time, I was uh, the lead uh, in, our, in our local area to do these things called a strategy a day calendar. And so we kind of stopped making these strategy a day calendars. They're just calendars that you'd rip off and it would give you one strategy a day. Well, because of my relationship with ISTE, I went to ISTE, the publisher of those two previous books, and said, hey, what do you think about making a book that's one strategy a day that teachers could um, uh, could use? And it's really geared towards general education teachers. I mean, it's really for anybody. But the idea that we can't get to inclusive environments if we don't invite our general ed friends to start designing them with us. So that's out now. Uh, if you were to click on this link or click on the, on the cover um, or even this little star thing, it will take you to where you can order it. And it should be out in May, knock on wood, the deadline to submit it, uh, submit the manuscript. We've been working on it fast and furiously behind the screens here. Uh, and it's due right here before Thanksgiving. So, so as soon as we get off of this, back to work. And I can attest that Chris has been spending a lot of time writing this book, and I'm super excited to buy it. Thanks, Rachel. Let me let me ask this quick question of everybody in the in the in who's participating today. Can you type in the chat how many proficient users of AAC you know? Type in that number. Like, oh, think about it. I know that person and that person. I mean, go ahead, type it in. How many do you actually met? There. Michelle says one. Brooke says one. Lauren says not enough two, three, right? And so that's one of the other missions of the podcast is to bring AAC users on and shine a spotlight on what works for them, you know? So, and in fact, we've had Lance Macklemore, who's going to be talking later today at this conference. He's been on the podcast. So he's, he's been a special guest on the podcast before. All right. So now into the, the, the more fun part of the session. I mean, I love Rachel and I, when we talk about this kind of stuff, we could talk about it all day, but now here, this is what the real crux of the, uh, the session is. It's all about you and questions you might have experiences you might be having. Um, if you'd like to talk, just pop on your camera, we'll see you. And then we'll be able to, um, call you on and you can answer the question too. Yeah. So, so really we want to kind of get a lot of audience engagement with this one. Um, just because we, Chris and I can talk and answer some of these questions, but we really want to open the the floor for lots of different clinicians and educators because we can all work together and brainstorm these things. Okay. And if we don't get to all your answers, well, 
we have a podcast. So we can try and answer some of these questions in the podcast in future episodes. All right. So let's go with the very first question. Are you ready, Rachel? Yes. Brittany was first. Do you <laughs> always start with something high tech and iPad, tablet, AAC apps? Are PECs or similar things still a thing? Great so who question. Would like to, yeah. Who would like, is, is there someone who'd like to come on and answer that before Rachel and I give our opinion? All right, we're going to get people are a little shy at first here in the morning. So go ahead, Rachel. Do you want to give your answer there? Um, yes. <laughs> so I think that uh, this is a, this is one I get a lot. It's like, is PECs? What, what about PECs? Because that's kind of where we start with AAC. And it's interesting because I feel like that's now changing. It used to be like it was just, OK, we've exhausted working on speech. And so now we're going to you know, either do sign language or we're going to do PECs. And then once we get to a certain level of PECs, then we're going to do a high tech device. And so, you know, I don't, we don't need to follow that, that typical trajectory. I think that it's really important to think about the student and why are you choosing the tool that you're choosing? And more importantly, are you thinking about long-term AAC? Because the reality is like, you know, some kids will use AAC and then they won't need AAC anymore, but some kids will need AAC the rest of their lives. And so I always like to err on the side of caution and think more long-term because the worst situation is, you know, having a student do one form of AAC and then a year or two later doing a different type of AAC and then a year or two later doing something else. You know, having a system that that has longevity um, that we set up in a strategic way that can really think about long-term success um, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and so with, with PECs, the problem that, you know, I have is that it's not a really good, robust, long-term solution. Um, there's no, there's no ability to type. Um, and more importantly, the, I find in my clinical practice that the motor planning aspect is what's challenging. So what Chris was talking about with motor planning, um, you know, the, the icons stay in the same place. If we have picture exchange, oftentimes what we're doing is we have a book and, and the picture cookies could be at the top and then the next time it could be at the bottom. And so what that does is it relies heavily on visual scanning and discrimination. Um, kids can't learn the motor plans oftentimes for pictures um, in a picture exchange book. So it just makes it harder. It makes it harder for communication to happen. Let me ask the let me ask everybody if you put this, this again, let's ask just I'm going to ask you to put a number in the chat. Mm -hmm. And that number is how many adult users of PECs do you know? Go ahead, put that number in the chat. There you go. So that's exactly why I I used to be a PECs person. I used to uh, try it with students for, for many years, and then I moved. It was on me to move because I looked at that number after years and years of working with kids and looking at really where it started for me was, okay, how many kids do we have graduating using that strategy? And I got the same answer as all you did. And I thought there has to be a better way. You know, there has to be a different way to get at this. I will sub out the word high tech there, Brittany, with robust. I, I wouldn't say necessarily that you, you, you need to start with high tech or that a student needs to have high tech. What you need instead is uh, something that is robust. Why I throw that in there is because there might be people who are very functional users of pod, pod books, uh, which is the robust language system, but it isn't necessarily high tech. It's It's got lots, I, so robust means thousands of words, you know, or access to thousands of words. Anyone else have thoughts there? No. I also think I, I'm more inclined to, like Chris said, use low tech 
but I'm, I'm more inclined to use something like a communication board because then at least we're focusing on core vocabulary and um, we're also supporting motor planning. And so there's lots, I definitely support low tech AAC because I think it's a great backup. I think it's a great reminder for families. I'm constantly like, take a screenshot of the device and put it in every room of the house in case the device isn't there. You still have an opportunity to model, you know, but like Chris was saying, it's not really a long-term solution. I will say when I'm working with really, really young kids, really, really young, like I'm talking less than two, um, sometimes what I'll do is I'll have parents like take pictures of their favorite things as a way to at least be able to point um, when they're not able to approximate a word. So there's caveats to all this, right? It's not like only this, but when we're thinking generally speaking, um, I like to think long-term. The other thing that I would add about the low tech is that you heard Rachel say it. We are fans of low tech because, again, every adult user, functional user of AAC I've ever met has one primary system and then a bunch of alternatives. And that's what uh, Rachel was getting at earlier. It's been a kind of a big takeaway from us from working in the podcast is that, well, I use a phone and I use an iPad. And I use sticky notes. Well, I got some right here, right? And I have all these different ways I communicate. They're alternatives that sometimes, depending on the, uh, the, the task that I'm going for or the, the situation that I'm in, I might use any of these tools to communicate. But my primary way of communicating is my voice. So we're looking for uh, AAC users when we're trying to design an AAC system for them. We might have one primary system, what, which might be their iPad, tablet, app, um, but they might also have other apps or they might have some low-tech means as well. And in fact, I've never met an AAC, a functional AAC user that didn't have multiple ways. In fact, if, I don't know if there's be a Q&A later, but ask Lance. I wonder how much else, what other tools he used besides his Lamp for Words for Life system. Definitely. All right, are we ready to move on, Rachel? Anyone else want to add anything here? Yeah. Yeah, so you should all have access to edit this stuff over here on the right, these solutions, ideas, strategies. So even if you don't feel comfortable coming on camera or, or having your voice, you can still put your answers over here. Um, this next question is about virtual AAC, and I'm sure you guys have a lot of tools, strategies, um, and so having them in this spreadsheet is really helpful for everybody. We can all take take away all of the links and all of the things that people can share. Thanks, Rachel. Rachel, is it time to move on to the next question? I think so. I think so, Chris. Sounds like a dog toy. <laughs> Any tips for using AAC devices for virtual learning? I'm going to go first here, Rachel, but then let's open it up to, to everybody else. Yep. Okay. So my very first tip here for virtual learning is the idea that Probably 80 to 90% of our therapy has been direct therapy, like um, prior to COVID. And maybe 10 to 20% has been some sort of like working with the family. And with people being at home more frequently and you're doing virtual learning and kids are at home, this is an opportunity to flip that, that dynamic so that maybe we can spend more time coaching the family members on how to do this. Um, a huge barrier to successful AAC use is the fact that we have such a high turnover rate in both special education and general education. I mean, there's a teacher shortage everywhere. So it is not uh, unlikely for a young student to have, before they leave elementary school, to have three, four different 
speech therapists, four different autism teachers, four different, I mean, clearly every year they're moving, unless they loop with their general ed teacher, most of the time they are having a new teacher. But the one consistent force is typically their family. So if we can teach the family how to be good communication partners and work with the communication device, they can be the stable force. So that, I think that has to be principle in our mind is how much more can I work with the family and coach the family to have them learn the skills more so than the educators. That's my number one, Rachel. What about everyone else? What do you, what would you say? I agree. I'm going to wait to share my thoughts because I want someone else to put something in the spreadsheet or you can turn your mic on and you can chat with us. I knew Lauren was going to come on. I knew it. (laughs) Lauren, you're such a ringer. Lauren, I I, I think you got, you got a chicken, didn't you? Hold on. Peck Peck is over at my desk. I, I'm at my work um, and I had to switch locations, but um, his name is Peck Peck. <laughs> so uh, check out our presentation because Peck Peck will definitely be making his appearance over there too. <laughs> awesome. And Lauren, what are, you, what are you presenting on? Just real quick, do a quick plug. Uh, we're doing some work on wordless books and um, mm-hmm. using wordless books. So, I mean, that's a you perfect do... one for um, talking. We're going to show off some, are we going to show off some Pete the Cat? Yeah, yeah, we have, um, actually, we have a really great book that um, is set in Loudoun County. It's um, a book called Unspoken, and um, it's about a story of a freedom seeker um, during the time of the Underground Railroad and um, a wordless book. I don't know if you've heard of it. Have you heard of it? No, no, I can't wait to check it out now. I'm going to- You have to come. Yeah, Totally. Um, one of the things I love about it, besides it being local for um, the students that I work with, um, it, it just it's a really age appropriate um, and there's just so many levels to it. But you knew I came on because I was so excited to talk about coaching. <laughs> she was like, ooh, there's an opportunity, a lead in for coaching. Yes. Well, know, talk to us about I coaching, know. Lauren. So I just, um, if you haven't um, explored coaching or how to ask questions or to elicit conversation with families and to help support them, I really encourage you to um, take the opportunity to look at some resources that you might have available in your school division. One of the things that for me that I found, I'm um, in Northern Virginia, but um, one of the things that I found was that my county was offering professional learning already in coaching, but it wasn't in like AAC or I'm a speech and language pathologist and I'm in special ed and it wasn't in those offerings. So to look a little bit more broadly at what you have available to you in your professional learning opportunities. So cognitive coaching, right, Lauren, cognitive coaching. That's what we did too. Yeah. Yeah. We did cognitive coaching and they had, um, our sort of beginning session was the first four days. And then they had four extra days for eight days total. And then now we have cognitive coaching clinics. We have sort of a critical mass of people who've done this. So we have cognitive coaching clinics. So you can practice and say, hey, I'm going into this team and I want to do more coaching and help me, you know, help me hone my skills here. So it's really um, a great opportunity to practice for you as a coach too. Um, and then I think there's, I'm trying to think, I think there is another level of coaching after that. I don't know, COVID kind of put the kibosh on a lot of things. And then um, 
also uh, we had something called fierce conversation, which talked about like, how do you have a difficult conversation with somebody about something that's really high stakes? Like, I feel like this kid needs an AAC system, a robust AAC system, and the team is kind of pushing back. Like, how do you present that or start that conversation? So those are hard conversations to have. I literally just had one of those last week. I'm mm-hmm. so blessed because most people who come to me already know they want AAC and they like have tried to get it at their school or someone else and they, they couldn't find it. They couldn't get access to it. But this family called and it was an interesting experience because I was like, oh, wow. Like they, they kept talking about how, well, like I don't want her to go back and just like use the device to talk. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I was like, I don't know if like you really like want to work with me then because that's exactly what I want her to do. Yeah. Um, So anyway, having those difficult conversations uh, is really tricky. And really I've learned being a good active listener um, and really listening to whatever the person that you're talking to, the parent, educator, what have you, um, is the first step in like building a really good rapport and listening to what it is that they want. Cause oftentimes you'll hear the fears come out. You'll, you'll kind of be able to, to take it all apart and see, oh, well, this family's really just scared that like their child's not going to learn how to speak verbally. This is the example that I'm, I'm giving from last week. So yeah. um, there's a lot we can kind of think about, um, and I'm a big fan of recording when I can, because um, I can't tell you how many hours of, of recordings I've watched of my own coaching sessions with families and watching yourself back is the best teacher to actually learning how to be a better coach. Because um, so many times I'm like, oh, I jumped in there and like I should have not been. And I told them exactly what to do instead of coaching them through the process or asking a reflective question. Um, So I find that recording yourself can be a really powerful strategy to use to just make your therapy better in general, but especially for coaching. Yeah. I think um, when you're starting coaching, it's almost easier to do it with your friends or your colleagues about something that you don't know anything about. Because Mm -hmm. sometimes when it comes to like AAC or something that you're working in that you feel so passionately about, it's hard to detach from that. And so to sort of practice some of your coaching skills, like, oh, you know, I don't know, tell me about your house renovation or like, tell me about what you're doing this weekend, you know, tell me about something you're planning and then kind of start a conversation there to practice your own skills as a coach. Lauren, let's dive into that just a little bit deeper, because I bet a lot of people listening, when we say the word coach, they think the word consult, or they mix those two words together. And I think you're, what you're really getting at is that there's a difference between consulting and coaching. Uh, Therapists, teachers, we have this knowledge that we want to share with people. And so we'll just tell them what to do, you know, use this app, um, move your hand like this, uh, wait longer, you know, just give you the answer. And that to me is consulting. Uh, Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the sort of pitfalls with consulting is like, I've told this team a thousand times, like to get out the core board and to use it in every activity, not just during snack and they're not doing it. And I'm like, oh, well, that's because I was consulting and maybe offering a suggestion and not listening because maybe there's something else going on or Maybe if they came to that conclusion on their own, which is when coach, when you use coaching and you pose those reflect those questions for them to think of those strategies on their own, that's when they're most effective because they stick, right? If somebody says, Hey, you should eat 
vegetables five times a day, fruits and vegetables. Like you should have five servings and you're like, but it's Halloween and I'm eating candy or it's Thanksgiving. And like, I have those vegetables, but they're all covered in butter or whatever. Right. Like, (laughs) you know, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Right. Or, you know, what's best for you, but you haven't made that commitment to say, I really have to do this for like my health or for my health numbers. I feel like diet is one of those like easy ones where people can kind of say, yeah, we we've heard, we've heard you should do this, (laughs) but I haven't like bought in or I just haven't like, there's some barrier for like why I'm not doing it. So I think the same thing applies to our own practice and implementation. Like maybe I've heard that I should have the core board out all the time, but I'm not doing it. Or there's something else that's preventing me from doing it. But if I just say, use the core board, use the core board, use the core board, and they're not doing it, it's so frustrating for everybody. Because then I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to come see your, you know, I'll come into your Zoom session and see your virtual classroom. And I want to see that core board out. And then I get there and they're like, oh God, the core board isn't out. I'm so sorry. Right. It just like makes this like bad spiral. Cause then they're like, oh, they think I'm, I'm not doing it, but there's other things going on. So if you use coaching and kind of find out, like, tell me what it's like when you go to use that core board, like what's going on? You know, what's your computer setup? Like, tell me a little bit more, like you're starting for your day and then just listen. You might identify that there's probably more barriers or other things to work on, or they might say, oh, I just didn't do it. I can't get over the hump and I know I should or whatever it might be. And then you'll be more effective because they'll be leading the conversation rather than you in a coaching model. I think also too, Lauren, like kind of what you're getting at is people need to come up with goals that are realistic for them. Like we know that like model all day, every day, you know, like we have these kind of lofty ambitions and we know that the more modeling a child gets, the better outcomes we'll see. Um, But like you're saying, listening to communication partner and really figuring out like what makes sense for them in their specific, you know, routines and life is ultimately how we get that buy-in and we get, um, you know, giving, giving communication partners the autonomy to say like, okay, I can do it in this routine. And this many times, um, all of a sudden they're more bought into the process because they've been leading you know, leading the ship in a lot of ways. Um, so I think that that's kind of what you're getting at too, is just like, we need to make things reasonable and realistic for people. And, it, and it's different, different teachers have different, you know, capacity, um, yeah. depending on the the day, the month, the student, you know, whatever. So I think it's just important to think about through that lens. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Move on to the next question. What's going on? Thank you, Lauren, for having on. We could we could talk about coaching and consulting and all of those. I mean, we could do that just for. There could be a whole. There could be we a four hour it. session, Kelly. Um, all right. So the next question, I'm actually going to combine the next two questions together because they are very similar. So mm-hmm. one is from uh, talking with tech superfan, and they Ooh. write. How do you have conversations with schools when they will not allow AAC devices to go home? And then similar to that was, do you allow the AAC devices to go home? And should the student have two devices? So who wants to talk about that? Yeah, I want to know. Man, this is a tough one. 
that I have a lot of feelings about. <laughs> well, as people are formulating their thoughts and thinking of their stories, I'll tell you mine. Um, for years, we have just allowed our assistive technology, technology to, to go home with students. There had been whispers of that changing, like, wow, well, well, it's not necessarily written in their IEP that it has to be provided at home. Um, should we be sending it home? Like, what if it breaks? Like all these kind of fictional scenarios that were, people were creating. Um, and then COVID hit. And I was like, see, we don't, we don't have to, like, we, there were some school districts that um, were scrambling because people did not have the technology they needed at home. But our, our district, our district, our administrators came and they said, Chris, what, where are we? Do kids have their communication devices? Do kids have what they need? And I was like, yeah, most of them do. And there might be one or two that we have to get something to them. But when we went to emergency distance learning, we're set. They at least have the tech at home. Um, so yeah, I, we send it home, you know, and uh, the, the, I don't see the downside for that. Um, there's, um, there's all sorts of arguments that people might make, not based on fact or based on um, evidence. Let it go home and then let that evidence speak for itself. How many, how many devices are getting stolen? You know, um, yeah, none. We, we've, we've lost maybe one device in the last five years. So what's that? How much time are you spending creating a form, um, uh, uh, having arguments at IEP meetings? How much time and money are you spending that tracking all of that? Um, as opposed to just letting it go, just letting it go home, you know? Even if you lost one device or two devices, it's a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of money and time you're spent um, uh, trying to stop stop that from happening. It's very, very rare families are trying to steal the, your school equipment. <laughs> exactly. And it's ultimately their child's communication. <laughs> so I think that your perspective is really helpful, Chris, because you come from the the school side. Um, I obviously feel the same as you. I feel like the kids need to have their communication systems all the time um, because that's their voice. And especially if, you know, that's their only voice. Um, I just think it's so important, but it's, it's a conversation with administrators because I think it's oftentimes it comes and it sounds like this, this talking with tech super fan, it comes from above them. So Chris, do you have any, you know, strategies for just generally trying to see things happen with change in your district, as far as administrators and having those, you know, tougher conversations? Well, like I said, I would document how many times uh, something, I mean, if you have forms like this, if you are sending it home, how many of them have not, how many of them, you know, what's the evidence to suggest that the claim that people are going to steal them or break them or lose them is legit, right? That's a fear people have, but it's a fear not based on any sort of numbers usually. So show me the numbers, you know, um, and then compare that to it's, it's costing the district this amount of time to have these conversations. We spent 30 minutes at an IEP debating whether it could go home or not. Um, we have developed a whole form and system that we track of how many said that we could go home and it couldn't go home. Um, and so that takes time, that takes m money, and it takes effort. And I would also then the last little piece of, um, I mean, knowledge that you could drop is that assistive technology is meant to be free to the family. So if it is written in the IEP and the location says home, then we do have to provide it. I, I'm advocating you don't even need to put it in the IEP that it's at home. Um, I think you could just send it back and forth and that just be your practice and protocol. 
I think, or does that help as a strategy as far as how to move forward is be like, actually, I think I have a way of saving us money in time, you know? School districts, administrators like saving money. <laughs> so if you can frame it as they're saving money, um, that's ultimately a, a really good thing. And, and, and we've talked about this on the podcast, Chris, but I don't think that oh, oftentimes I don't think that administrators often think about the time that they're paying professionals to do certain things like what that cost is. We, we always think about the cost of the tech, right? The tool. It's like, oh, there's a cost associated with this iPad. But like what's more costly, and we've talked about this, is paying a speech language pathologist and an occupational therapist and all these people to sit around at a meeting to discuss something that, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be discussed. Um, Rachel, so I've actually heard that from administrators in the past. They've said, ah, just give them 30 minutes more of speech to make them happy. Well, do you know how much money 30 minutes more of speech? And that is ongoing as opposed to, let's just say, the the fight over an iPad that is maybe between 800, let's say $800 with an app on it, you know, um, that's and that's a one time cost that will last for five years or more, you know, so yeah. it's just pointing that out to them sometimes makes, oh, right. <laughs>